Welcome to a new episode of the Phil Mount Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a special talk from the 59th in New York Film Festival with Memoria director Apicha Pong Werasethical. For over two decades, Apicha Pong has been celebrated as one of world cinema's most original auteurs, with films that constantly refract and reinscribe the contours of narrative, reality, and temporality. His new feature, which comes six years after 2015's Cemetery of Splendor, reaffirms his peerless status even as it takes a Thai auteur into uncharted territory. Memoria is Apichapong's first film set outside of Thailand, in Colombia, his first English and Spanish-language venture, and his first outing with a bona fide international star, Tilda Swinton. We were thrilled to welcome the filmmaker for a deep-dive conversation about his extraordinary oeuvre and the elliptical novelties and familiar mysteries of his latest masterwork, moderated by novelist Katie Kinemura. NYFF Talks were presented by HBO. Let's go to the conversation. Thank you to all of you for coming, and thank you for the film festival for giving me the opportunity to talk to one of my absolute heroes. I guess, first of all, I should say congratulations on the new film, which is a triumph. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone for being here. Um, I've been doing talking all day today because it's like press day. Yeah, so maybe my mind is like <laughs> not as sharp, but, but it's a pleasure to be here. And um, it's my last night in New York. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be uh, sharing stories with you in this intimate like living room space, giant TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for spending your, your last night with us here. I guess I should start by saying that, you know, the, in so many ways, Memoria is a kind of continuation and expansion of your previous work. It feels completely kind of of a piece with it. But at the same time, it represents a number of very significant firsts. It's the first time you're working outside of Thailand in another language um, with a different kind of group of actors. So I wonder if I could ask you, um, what prompted that shift? It's um, when I was making Cemetery of Splendor, that was 2014, you know, in the shooting, and the military took over the Thailand, and now we have, for me, military government, uh, which really authoritarian um, mindset, and so for me, I really want to make a movie about that, mm-hmm. and and to reflect, you know, that to to keep that memory, but I cannot because, uh, you know, there's a lot of censorship and and it's too risky. For, for me and my family. So I, I reconnected with my past dream is to go to the Amazon, you know, because I was really in love with jungle and how to deal with it uh, cinematically you know, in the past. And it's because I was, a, how you say, growing up with this adventure book of jungle romance and the, which, which penned by Thai authors, but they were influenced by, you know, the Western writers, you know, those romanticized, those that romanticized the, the Amazon during colonial time. You know. So I was like, why not, you know, just go to the source, you know, to the Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I traveled uh, during the Fixie Film Festival um, 2017, I went to Colombia. And, and had a chance to travel to many cities. And I was then in love with city mm-hmm. and people, not jungle. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, now I still haven't been to the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something else for you to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I, the, the film deals in such beautiful and subtle but very probing ways with the history of Colombia and colonialism and various <laughs> forms of political violence. How how did you approach that as a kind of, I don't want to say an outsider, but to some extent, I, w- I would say an outsider. What was your process of kind of first finding that approach and then locating the kind of discrete stories that you tell within the film? I can never be, you know, be able to make a so-called a, a, a truth or a political film in, in that foreign space. Uh, as you say, I'm always an outsider, so I I just 
try to link with something personal, which was this head exploding sound that happened, you know, before I went to Colombia and, and during the trip to, you know, the, this bang uh, that that happened in the morning, and and I feel, um, you know, I try to connect this audio experience of personal one and also the social one that that people have. You know, I talk to people about their sound experience and. Yeah, the experience in general. Yeah. Um, so, so the sound that the character of Jessica hears—that is a sound that belongs to you, so to speak. Is that that's something that you experience yourself? Yes, it it happened like I said before in in the morning, and it's like this bang. That uh, it's not a sound; it's it's an idea of the sound, it's, because it's it's not through your ear or, or something. It's it's in the brain. I, I don't know. Any of you have this? <laughs> See, so we need to hear from them <laughs> because because it's a, a quite peculiar experience, and and that's what I try to to channel in in the mixing room scene, you know, with Jessica and Erna. Like it's like a ball of metal. Maybe you can help <laughs> underwater, and you know this kind of you know. And and in the end, it's not. That sound it's, it's close, but yeah, it's impossible task. I mean, I mean, I think sound and music are always so important in your work, but are perhaps even more important in this one. And you know, it opens with this sound that you just described, which carries on throughout the film. And then sound becomes a kind of form of transmission of memory and of history as as well, if I'm correct. Um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit. What was that sound almost the starting point or the kind of lever that allowed you to think about how to navigate this particular location and its histories or because I noticed you also use this sound that's very like a gunshot in the in one of the early opening scenes, which I can't remember if it's actually exactly the same sound, but you use it as a kind of way to move through various different both um Intensely personal experiences, but also much larger collective ones. So, yeah, that's I've, that's now quite broad. But I wonder if you could talk about sound in relation, if if that was a starting point for this film. Yes, and I was I was a sound nerd. I I really into listening because it's ground me. And personally, I I stopped listening to music for more than ten years because I just feel like this is. You know, precious. It's just listening to the moment, or to ambience, or birds, or yeah. So, and I want to to translate that into film watching experience, or even film making. You know, so the process of of going through memoria is to you know to be in particular place in Bogota that I feel connected, not only visual but also sound, and just to sit, and and to to synchronize and. You know, so so, it's it's um how you say it? for me I very value this uh, process. You know, it's not only about the film but about the journey to be there. Yeah, and and for sure, sound is like it's like visual. You can approach it differently. You know, you can hear one thing and you can interpret differently for individual different individuals and yeah. Um, there's a really extraordinary scene in the kind of final section of the film where the character of Jessica becomes, I think, almost, I think the um, the male character, Hernan, calls her a radio, and she starts to transmit soundscapes in a way, I think, through through touch. And I, those, those soundscapes felt to me really extraordinary because... I felt as if they were communicating pieces of narrative almost, or pieces of very, very precise story almost, but entirely through sound. So I, I, I suppose, is that the case? And how did you how did you go about constructing that kind of very extended uh, soundscape in that final section of the film? Right, that, that came later because I, I knew that if I had some fixed idea about sound, it's, is gonna limit the the shooting process or yeah so i i just deliberately shoot it you know with just no sound 
and just to whisper to Tilda words, you know, and because we, we shot entirely like one shot, uh, almost 15 minutes. Yeah, so, so just guide her and then she takes, grabs on those words and, and mix with her own, you know, interpretation and, you know, to, to, to have that emotion. And then uh, later in the post-production, I, I try with my sound designer and put it in the idea of um, this collapsing of memories of people, of places, of time. When um, I just put in the, my own memory, also Bekin Diaz, the actor of Ernan, and also Tilda Swinton, and also Jessica, you know, just the, the, the outtakes or whatever, just put in there. And also Tilda has her own grief, you know, also before making the film. So we, she told me about that and we recorded. And also putting the sound from Thailand, the sound from, um, uh, from the first, it's the first singing voice of human singing voice ever recorded. You know, there's a French song from 19 something I, I put in there. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's all this mixture. I mean, I'm interested in, in what you said about memory collapsing or, or memories collapsing on top of themselves because it felt to me like in, you know, it, it the kind of sound starts off very much as an internal thing and it's very much kind of bounded by the body of the Jessica character. And then eventually I felt in that moment she almost became porous somehow or as a sound was a way of dissolving the boundaries around the self. I don't, I, I don't know, in that moment of transmission, does that make any sense? Yes, that's what Tilda used the term porous, the, the way that, you know, she become absorbing or transporting. Um, can I ask, since I know that this is, th this is collaboration with Tilda Swinton is something that I think was in the works for quite a long time, and I, I just wanted to ask how it came about and what that experience of working together was like. I know you've been friends for a very long time. Um, because it's Tilda, so it's quite, uh, how you say, it's uh, beyond my regular scope of filmmaking, I mean, in terms of budget and, and preparation. So, so it took a long time until she really ready in terms of her schedule. And, and me too, because I've been really happy with my artwork also, artwork side. So it, it took a while, but, but along the way we always communicate about this dream. And, and the main, main thing is about the location. Yeah. And we're talking about Japan and Thailand and, you know, and then it's like, I know Japan well. And, and then I talk about Iceland, how about snow, something. And she said, no, I already know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I went to Cartagena 2017, I'm struck by this, you know, this massive architecture, massive cloud and the shift of weather. And I said, Tilda, I found a place. Yeah. And, and it's the moment when she, <clears throat> she was out of the, the grief and also, um, it's one of the, the very first project of her that she just dive into it. Yeah. And the, and the rest of the, the remainder of the cast who are equally extraordinary I, and who I think you have not worked with before, is that No, right? not really. Yeah, there's Colombian cast and Jean Balibar, whom I was a jury member with in Cannes, I think 2008. And, and we were friends since, you know, like Tilda, I you know, want to work with her. And um, yeah, and the, the Colombian actors through casting. And so for me, the process of, you know, just listening to their stories are also very, very moving and, and end up being part of the construction of the film. What was it in the past you've, you've worked with? I guess what will be called non-professional actors. Is there a difference for you in the process? Is it the the same working with with professional actors, or does it kind of unfold in a in a different way? And also, I guess you know, I'm I'm curious about how collaborative the kind of script making 
process is with with the actors because it sounds like it's very much integrating their own stories and their own experiences and that they bring quite a lot as well to the shape of the narrative that emerges. Well, I value a lot the improvisation and I don't, you know, differentiate, you know, professional or not. Um, for me, from my experience in Thailand, it was harder for me to work with professional actors because um, with our limit um, industry, uh, a lot of people work in television and soap opera. So it's really hard to, to, to break that habit of acting yeah? mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I discovered that for Colombian actor as well. Yeah. But for Tilda, it's something else because she she approached this project as as a friend, and also, I think it's her style to to be present, and to to be you know in in that environment and what she prepped into the film uh, just way before shooting, months before the shooting, she was, you know, because of Tilda, we really love to play with her hair. <laughs> But she sacrificed, you know, just stop, you know, and then let it grow. And then she keeps sending me pictures, you know, hey, Joe, this length now. And I am so touched by that. Yeah. And, and she just, you know, grow, grow. And, and then she started to learn Spanish yeah, before coming. And then when she arrived, she just, just, you know, the first day of fitting, because we, we were doing a costume. And then we we had Photoshop on her, and and we thought that those would work, but but they didn't, you know, those clothes. So we start anew and try this and that. And she just she just opened her, her arms and and say, do whatever you want with me, yeah. So and so we did. We try a lot of things, and 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 many of scene has no makeup at all on her, yeah. Um, her her character Jessica is a is an outsider to to Colombia, and that feels quite important in terms of how we navigate the space of the that kind of urban space with her. Just the way she moves through it as a as a stranger, it feels also important that she's she's a non native speaker of Spanish, and and that of course is very different to your previous films, which have have featured you know, characters who are really from from the the location that surrounds them. What was that little gap useful or, or generative for you? You know, did did that I, I suppose did that change the way you worked? Did that change the, the story that, that came out in any way? You know, similarly working in another language, was that did did that create a kind of useful distance or separation in any way? As a character for Jessica, I think is it's very useful because I I value this this idea of not knowing or or in terms of language of trying to communicate um, this in articulation or trying to articulate is is really important and it it's also synchronized I think with this psyche of the character who's 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 trying to connect but don't know how you know. Uh, physically and also in her own, uh, how you say, in her own internal way, internal self. Yeah. So this broken Spanish, it is, I think, is important too. Yeah. I mean, in the, in that wonderful scene in the kind of sound mixing studio, is that the right, right. term? Sorry. <laughs> um, there, there is. It's this kind of wonderful moment where she has to describe in language. A sound that's strictly right. internal, and then it gradually is kind of coaxed into being by the character of Hernan, who's the kind of sound engineer or, or the um, and and also a musician. And it, and it felt to some extent like it was a description of maybe a, a, a creative process or something about filmmaking itself. But I, I don't want to attach too many clumsy metaphors. But is is that scene in particular was that was that important important Very for you and for the film? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's about an attempt, an attempt to reach out and to to explain how one feels, right? And this way, it's almost like uh, how to explain sound, how to to together producing this witnessed by the audience. 
and it's it's not and and the how you say a what's it in english the 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 oh, i don't know my english it's a the struggle to 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 reach certain point you know not only uh physical but also emotional mm-hmm. point in the film is yeah through technology and through emotion and Yeah. I I wanted to ask about technology as well because it feels like a kind of um it, it feels it feels present in the film in a very useful way and and I think I mean it, it among other things the kind of film reminded me that cinema is a technology as, as well. Um you know I think I think it's very easy to to kind of Think, get lost and, and forget that, but it is a technology, and and of course, you know, you use the metaphor of radio as a kind of transmission form of transmission. And I was thinking a lot about the fact, and then there's a sound mixing studio as well. I was thinking a lot about the fact that technology is very much present in this film, but not as a kind of not in the uh, more familiar get off your phones, everybody. Technology is bad, but in a much more kind of it's kind of collaborative tool, and it's also a metaphor for. Um, processing memory, I think. Yes, and also it's it to me it's always magic filmmaking. You know, it's always bring me back to when I was young, trying to draw something or create something. You know, and and it's deal with fiction. You know, to create something that doesn't exist, and to create this world. You know, with sound and image. You know, and for me, the point of this film is is about integration of the audience and Jessica, and she's as a portal to to the world, to that world, and she listen. And at one point, the audience becomes her, and to together we listen uh, to this sound of the world, which may be real or maybe not. You know, this this um, simulation or this um, fabrication. You know that that the sound designer and the filmmaker together make. So, so the experience of this film, I hope, is is just to be and to to be aware of this magic, and 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 that's why I think cinema experience is important for this film. Yeah. Um, can I ask a question, which I I I hope is not too basic, but I I, I do want to ask you, um, which is that. Um, time is incredibly important in your film, as is pacing and duration, and it feels there's something that's so distinct about how dura- how your films work durationally, um, both in terms of how the pacing within a, within a single scene and also how how long the scenes last, and it, it feels so distinct. You know, it's at once um, stately, but Also quite relaxing and relaxed in a way, and uncanny as well. And I just, how how do you how do you create that? Is that within, you know, within the filming? Is that something that happens in the edit? Is it is it how do you know when you've hit the right, you know, the right rhythm for a scene? Um, you know, in, in Cemetery Splendor, there's some kind of wonderful scenes that are happening. I think almost at normal, at a normal pace in along the river, and it seems really startling. It seems almost like they're very. Speed it up because we've been so kind of lured and seduced into the particular time of the kind of time continuum of the film, um, and I feel like that is such a big part of of how you create this collective experience within the cinema. But how how do you play with duration and pacing? You know, when you're constructing a scene. For me, I don't know. It's a mystery, <laughs> honestly, and and that. Keep me coming to cinema, to making it because it's it's a voodoo, <laughs> something that that really peculiar that that uh, you are doing something with sound and image in one shot and then it changed the previous shot, the next shot, the whole movie changed. So this about this um, negotiation with sound and image process that that. I'm still not 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 sure what it is. There's no formula, uh, but what I know is it's just to find a balance of of this to create um, what you mentioned the rhythm 
a small, almost like a heartbeat. You know, it's, it's such a privileged position, you know, to, to, to offer, to share with the audience, you know, this heartbeat, you know, and, and to, to offer something and to sculpt this being that has his own heartbeat. And then in the cinema together, we, instead of to do, 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 do with us, like, boom, 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 together, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's something that, that, that many times I, I feel like I try to achieve. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. You know, time is incredibly important to this film, and you, you, you described... Jessica is a portal for the audience, and it just does seem that she kind of opens up this almost different time-space continuum. But but there are other portals in a way in the film as well, and they're often objects. There's the, the stones that she holds by the river and that Hernan tells her have the memories of what happened. There's also the kind of um, the hip bone of the, of the figure, um, that that uh, the archaeologist played by Jean Balivar is kind of is showing her, and I, I guess I wondered wonder how how these material objects for you work in relationship to you know they are they feel almost like talismanic or something. There's also this great line that I loved um, in the orchid refrigerator where the woman says, "Time stops in here." So th this idea, I guess, of of portals or or things that allow us to kind of move move out of our, our kind of restricted sense of this present time and access the time that's really haunted and informed by the past as well. Well, it's, it's remnants and it's, um, it's us. No, I, I just feel like um, it can be cliche, but it's, everything is connected and, and not only physically, but also in terms of memory and how we pass along stories you know, from the past to present, and and it's embedded. You know, and scientifically, it's also true. You know, they they have this theory of of uh, extracting information from from the wave that is embedded in objects. You know, mm -hmm. so so that that's the thing. It's it's. Um, and I think for me, it's, it's not only within the character, but also through the audience, you know, this awareness. And, yeah. I, I, was, um, I was doing an event with a, a wonderful writer called Ruth Ozeki, who's also a Zen Buddhist priest. And, and she has a number of parts of her novel are narrated from the point of view of objects. And, and she said, you know, it's all based on the, the kind of koan do insentient objects speak the Dharma. And I almost, felt this kind of idea that objects have information, have, have knowledge, contain memories, and, and part of what the film does is allow us to access that. And it also, you know, it, it almost decentered human experience or human consciousness. It kind of opened up into something much, much bigger than that. So it's not kind of like a, a, uh, a psychological study of a single character, but it's something much more porous in this idea that memories move not just between people but between objects and locations which 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 is of course a theme throughout your work and in cemetery of splendor the kind of site of the hospital is very much uh informed by what took place within that site before because i i i cannot check this idea off of everything has you know has life in it somehow that growing up in Thailand, you know, we have believe in spirit. We have, we, in the animist culture, Buddhist, animist, Hindu mix, you know, and we believe in reincarnation and that um, every thing, like rocks or trees, has its own inhabitant and spirits. Yeah. And even though I don't believe it, I just, but I cannot check this. Yeah. 
feeling of when I confront it, like just spontaneous look at the tree, for example. Um, there, there's a, a really wonderful moment after this that long kind of transmission sequence where there's almost like a it, it reminded me of the moment in Still Life the Jiajian Ke film when there's suddenly a kind of there's a there's a rocket but suddenly there's a brief kind of flicker of a almost a, I don't know if it's something in the future or a parallel timeline but it's almost it suddenly it shows the breadth of what the world of the film can accommodate and I I wonder if 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 you could talk about about that little moment in the in the film yes that that's the thing I talk about when the time collapses, mm -hmm. when the memory merge yeah. and and that also merged with my own memories of you know being young and just anything is possible you know the the dream of the Amazon, the dream of possible civilization or beings you know, and mainly it remind me of those times that it's like really conception time of, of what I want to do in cinema, which is to to mix what I love, which is ghost, monster, and mm -hmm. and science fiction. And, you know, growing up with Spielberg and also with um, Ray Bradbury and Asimov, you know, and, and for me, I focus on the cover, you know, those illustration on on science fiction books, you know, that is really popular, you know, like here, I think, uh, during the 80s, and yeah, you have a lot of translated uh, sci-fi, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and all those covers are really amazing, yeah. yeah, so looking back, it was like, those are, those are memories of the future, yeah. Um, you, you've been doing for, I don't know, is it about the last 10 years or longer, you have a, a, a kind of very flourishing gallery art career as well. And I wondered if you could um, talk a little bit about how that informs your kind of feature films. I, I, I feel like there's probably not a clean divide in that way, but, but how those two kind of different arenas, you know, you have the shorter films and the installation work, the kind of immersive installation work, and, and how that you balance that with, with making these larger feature film projects. Well, in fact, I, I work in the arts from the beginning, you know, from uh, just early 2000. And, uh, but because it's, it's more like tied to specific place in gallery and stuff, so, so it, it's not known much, but in a way it has a really close dialogue with filmmaking, you know. It, it's something like sometimes as a sketch or sometimes as something I cannot do in feature film, I, yeah. And, but most of the time it's, it's about understanding the land you know so my artwork is always uh, about traveling and and to see uh, my region is the northeast of thailand mm -hmm. yeah and in a way when i look at memoria is it's like the process of art making mm -hmm. yeah and it's just to travel and to open yourself mm -hmm. up so, so you find yourself using the same kind of instincts and and right. skills as a as an artist kind of across they carry over into the film right, right. making. Yes, quite similar in the way of research mm -hmm. and photograph and, you know, it's almost like archaeological style, you know, just digging. Yeah. And in Memoria, we also have a book. Uh, it's not we, it's another, it's a, it's a German publisher. Uh, they, we, they publish a Memoria book, which is about all the research, all the notes and sketches and yeah check it out <laughs> yeah and and it's interesting because because uh, people know about my feature films but in fact the artwork which which is a f more free platform you know there's less rule and other are the one that that keep uh, bring how you say income mm -hmm. bread and butter <laughs> yes but for yes, feature films, it's almost zero. Yeah, I, I have, I haven't, yeah, I have an inkling of the the, uh, mm. the different cash flow systems yeah. at work. Um, I uh, when I, I, I you know I was I I rewatched I had the complete pleasure of looking at some of the films again, and I was reminded of how often you place um, your films in hospital settings. 
and how much, which is, and how much they of, often they feature quite mysterious maladies and ailments. Um, and one of the things, especially at the last year and a half, that I so grateful for is that these settings have very little anxiety to them. They're really um, settings that seem to me about care. But I wonder, you know, how, if I could ask how illness works within your films and how this kind of setting of the hospital, because there is also, that's also part of um, Memoria as well. One of the early scenes takes place in, in the hospital. Well, it's like the jungle. It's a place that I feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, because I, I grew up there for 15 years. I, I was, uh, my parents were doctors. So in this small town, I grew up in this um, small hospital and just it's like my playground. Just be with the um, patients and other kids of doctors. Um, and, and I just feel really safe there. Um, and I, I feel connected because it is a universal place. You know, it's a place of birth and for many and place of death for many and sickness. So, so it's universal. You know, in Colombia, it's the same. And architecturally, it's really similar to uh, color, smell. So I feel home, like at home. Yeah. And was that one of the first places you sought out when you got to Colombia? Did you look for the, the in hospital? Fact, yeah. In fact, yes. And, and just, just to contact, where you want to go? Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> And and is is and so so many of the content that's developed from there, and to talk to people, um, doctors and mental mental patients. And, yeah. So so the research for generating the kind of the material for memorial was was from patients Hospital and doctors too. at in Bogota in Bogota in Bogota in in the place called Filandia, mm -hmm. it's about an hour away, and in many other places. Yeah, and but but not specifically story, but I think maybe the feelings or the rhythm of the the film. Yeah, and and how do these kind of undiagnosed conditions? How do they play into your into your filmmaking? You know, the in um, Cemetery of Splendor, the soldiers have this sleeping sickness, and we don't really, you know, it, it's. It's a beautiful metaphor as well. Um, and here you have this kind of sound that's inside of the head, which is not quite a medical condition, or maybe maybe it is. I, I feel like I should ask the people in the audience. But, but how, how, how is that kind of, is, is it the fact that you have a kind of mystery that's in, lodged inside the body? Or, or what draws you to that kind of undiagnosed? You know, then is, they're, they're not, you're not making a movie about cancer patience but about something something much more mysterious i don't know it's 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 because maybe i'm attracted to to the horror film as well but growing up and the suspense of you know not knowing and and the possibly the the maybe you know that's really attractive and and i think the wonderful thing about us is is us <laughs> Is is our be our you know body and mind you know and, and this is one of them because each one is different and and when you have something you know occurring you also how you say speculate or think what's wrong with me or am I alright or or this thing so so it's always this internal dialogue with with us especially now you know and so yeah. I mean, of course, Cemetery Splendor, now that you, you mentioned horror films, has a kind of classic horror movie structure almost in that it's a haunted space. It's a kind of space that they're transgressing upon. Um, I think I am meant to be opening up to audience questions, and I know there'll be many of them. So does anybody have any questions that they would like to ask? Do you want to call or do you, do you want me to point at people? <laughs> okay, hi. The, the question is... Um, that Jajanke is is in the credits of the film, and yes. and if there's a kind of collaborative element, or or how how that relationship works, I think is that is that it. Well, he's a co-producer of the film. He actually wanted to come in 
since the last film. Um, um, but for this film, it was really open. You know, he just come in as a supporter, as a friend, and and he has no uh, influence as as well as other producers. The same, yeah. It's more friendship and yeah. And uh, yes, sorry. Yeah, I want to ask you, uh, what do you think is the role of an independent filmmaker in this scenario where uh, we get uh, mid budget films to lower uh, budget films are almost disappearing and it looks like it's getting harder to actually screen uh, pictures in theaters? So the question is, what is the role of the filmmaker in a kind of of an independent filmmaker in a world where mid to lower budget films are disappearing and it's very, diff it seems like the kind of cinematic, real cinematic experience is endangered. Oh, are we really disappearing? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, because some, sometimes I, I also go to teach, uh, to do workshop and I'm not sure. For me, it's still quite alive and you know, but I'm not sure about this medium. But for me, it's more about the 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 in between. You know, whether it's um, personal film or or something in the gallery, in the mm -hmm. visual art view. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm sure there's this change in structure of distribution, right? In with streaming and with theater, and how do you fit to that, right? Mm. I'm not sure how to answer it. <laughs> how do you decide what what will become a feature film and what will become a gallery installation? Is there mm. it, are there are there are there projects you know from the beginning? Do you know or are there projects where you think maybe this will be a gallery piece and then it kind of transforms into something else? Yes, it starts from from ideas. I have many multiple things I want to do, and then you know when the funding comes with. You know, I just look. I just communicate with my producer. Like, okay, this this seem like a feature. It's automatic. You know, this this is for visual art. Maybe this is a, you know it part of memoria. You know, so so for example, now I'm developing this performance that link with memoria. And for example, so yeah. And but and you're working with the same team, the same cinematographers, and. When you make a gallery piece, right, yeah. right, the same. Process. Yeah, but I don't know how to answer your question. Well, hmm. the thing is, if I, I don't care if I don't see in this festival movies like Dune or The French Dispatch, because I'm going to see, see it eventually in a streaming video. But, but there's a lot of films that are going to be screened here that I know that if I'm not seeing it here, it will be really hard to find it somewhere else. And it looks like the gap between uh, between uh, very commercial films, independent, is getting wider and wider and wider. Do you think? Do you feel the same thing? It's going to there. I just think, in, like in Thailand, we really struggle uh, just to shoot, to be able to shoot, and yeah, so many people are drawn to to Netflix or HBO, you know, as a way. To, to survive and, and have all kind of justification um, to, to work uh, in a creative way within that platform. And for me, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I should say if it's good or bad, it, it's just it is, it's just the way. And, but at the same time, I believe that we all have, we all have a channel that once you really genuinely just work with the producer, producing team, that uh, whatever you create, it, it will find the audience, you know, instead of starting with a platform or starting with a goal, you know, oh, we want to go to this festival or something. No, it's about it's starting with the, with the heart, with the content first, and just try to finish it. Yeah. Am, am I right in thinking that Memoria will be in the cinemas, certainly in, in 
New York. I was told at the IFC there'll be a, yeah. a run, so we can all book our tickets now and see it see it again on a big screen. Right. Uh, are there any other? Uh, yes. So, so the question is that sound is very important, and how? What does the kind of first sketch or the first notes description of what the sound will look like, since so much of it is done in post? I think I have more sketches of uh, image than sound because for me, sound is there. It's about the day of the shooting and we just record it as much as possible and just to, to, to find out in the editing process. Yeah. And, mm. Yes. So the question is about censorship in Thailand. Oh, it's, it's the norm, it's rampant. And especially these few years, um, not only censorship, but the government itself has its own troop, you know, uh, actually soldiers in front of monitors of infiltrating Twitter, Facebook, and creating narrative, propaganda, and to create hatred, you know, all these things. And they just just there in your face, you know. So I think this is it's a form of worse than censorship, but just to to put information and to to create conflicts. And but censorship has been, you know, with us, especially independent filmmaker, for for a long time. You know, we we it's really about how to present a good portrait of the country. You know, you cannot have a policeman as a, a bad character there, or he can be bad, but in the end he can. He can just turn around and you know all this thing, yeah, so doctors not supposed to do this, doctors supposed to do that, so it's like cookie cutter kind of society, yeah, so I was in a censorship board once with my film, and you know there's all these people from from different profession because they're selected according to to the film. You know, in, in my film, Syndrome in the Century, they have a monk, there's a doctor, have a film teacher, you know, all these scholars yeah, in the round table, and they, they watch the film. And they and when they finish, they, they sit together, and I was taken into the room. It's like a court. And, and they start to tell me what's wrong with my film. You, you're not supposed to do this, you know. But that that was in two thousand seven, yeah. And so the monks say, "Ah, oh, why don't you do this?" And that, and the doctors say, "Oh, you shouldn't bring the liquor into the the workplace. You shouldn't kiss in the workplace." And and the film teacher say, "You don't know how to make movie." <laughs> I was so angry. I was, and. And then I, this anger just just like forced me to 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 form a group and and try to change the law and we did, but it's still very uh, something similar happened, but not as extreme. Yeah. Was Syndromes in the Century the film that faced the most difficulty in that regard? For Over, censorship, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Even though it's, it's for me, it's nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. I, I'm conscious I haven't taken any questions from the back of the room, so maybe. So the question is, um, what was a pivotal moment in the research process, particularly in Colombia, that confirmed that this, that kind of clarified the project or when the project emerged? Is that fair? No. Yeah. What was a pivotal moment in your There are many research? moments. Yeah. There's <laughs> many little bangs, bangs that, you know, and a lot of um, images and sound and, and people's stories, you know, and I mentioned last night, I think the, the story is about a woman who who's driving and there's a bang and she she was frozen and she was just listening, guessing what what was that? Is that a bomb or is that a, a gunshot? Yeah. So so that that gave me like, oh, this idea of freezing and being in your track is is really important and, and also about um, this 
fact that there's a lot of killings during the, the during the important day like a holiday or New Year, especially there's a lot of killings uh, because because uh, the sound of gunshot can be mis uh, can be blend in with the sound of fireworks, so that people kill. Yeah. So so this the audio experience with with trauma. It's really, yeah, it's a trigger for this film, yeah. I think we have time for one more question. Um, you have your hand very high. So, so the question is that because the films invite such a kind of interactive experience, um, have you considered working in, in game, in, in the game format or another interactive format, or is the control of, of, a, of a cinematic product cinematic form um, critical? Not sure. Filmmaking is like a game for me already. And, but I, I'm lately, I'm developing this VR project. And for me, it's, it's really new experience to experience this technology. It, it, it's opened up the imagination of the future you know, of us, uh, how we interact with with reality. And for me, that's really Buddhism, you know, of how to really focus and question reality, you know, instead of just simply look and, you know. So I think VR is, is one thing that I'm attracted to now. Yeah. Mm. And I, oh, I think that's all we have. I want to hear about the exploding head. Syndrome. Oh yes. Can can, can we, you do you want to you share, share those who raise their hands about how, their how exploding? Does it feel? Uh, mine's like microphone feedback, like wipes my brain clean in like a sharp tone. Just one bang. Yeah, when I fall asleep. So we're a little bit opposite. Mine's sort of the absence of sound, like in a deafening way, at night, and yours is the loud in the morning. So. <laughs> Any yeah, others? Somewhere else. Yeah. I, I heard the little, like, very, very tiny, tiny noise. It's kind of metallic and it's up your head. Well, in the morning or? Uh, it depends. Uh, I don't, uh, I've not heard it for a while, but there was time when it was frequent and I think it was random. <laughs> Is it, um, is it like a friendly experience or is it a, you know, is it no. It's kind of like you feel dizzy. It, it does feel very cosmic. So I can understand how it could expand into memoria and like this idea of collapse of time. It feels like you're receiving something from outside of yourself. Yes. <laughs> And on that note, we'll we'll call it a night. Thank you all so much for coming, and thank you, Pichakong, for your. Thank you very much.